check one, two. Let's see if I learn how to work this thing. Check one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Here we go. Checking up, bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up. I prefer for my voice to sound like the voice of God Almighty. <laughs> it seems to be effective. What, isn't it? You know what? It was great. I just got back from Austin, Texas, uh, doing a men's conference there. It, it really feels so good. It really does. When you're talking to the family, say, what's the plan today? I'm going over to Pelham, which is about three miles from here. That's much easier to plan than trying to get to Austin, Texas and back and juggle all this stuff that we're here to kind of talk about. Uh, but uh, it, it is good to be home. This is home. This is, this is Jerusalem. Uh, this, is, this is where we live. This, it's always fun, too. When people always try to get me to come speak at stuff local, I say, well, don't expect a lot out of that. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I mean, if, 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 I'm probably the coach of some of their kids' team. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a big deal about anything to do with Rick and Bubba here in our own town. You know, you see me over at Publix a lot. Man, we go through the toilet paper. Where does all this toilet paper go? So, uh, so anyway, uh, this, it, it's, it's, not, it's different. It, it's a more intimate feel tonight. Now, Austin, Texas was weird because we don't have an affiliate there. Those people had no idea who I was. No idea. And, and this is them about halfway through the message. See, because I knew I was leaving. You know, I could say whatever I want to say. And uh, it was good. They got in that barbecue thing with me, which I didn't appreciate. I said, you can't be bragging about barbecue. It ain't got any pigs in here. Beef brisket. I mean, it's all right, but it ain't no pig. Isn't it good to be a Gentile and be able to eat a pig? I talk about that all the time. That's one of the great things, the old, old, old wild vine grafted in, still eating pig. You know, when, well, I really believe, though, you know, when, when uh, Peter got in trouble because he wouldn't eat, you know, with the Gentiles. Don't you know when Peter took that first bite, he's like, man, <laughs> this pig is good. <laughs> and uh, so that, that was, that's all cool and, and, and a wonderful thing. I, I, am, uh, I go to Shades Mountain, you know, which Pastor just talked about. And uh, they, they struggle with me there. It, it's really not a great thing. Don't ever wish for somebody from the Rick and Bubba show to go to your church. Because everything is aired. And, and you know, so they, they asked me, I've been really working on, it's, it's been my dream, to play Jesus in the Easter story. Now, what is so funny about, why is everybody, <laughs> I, I grew my hair out, I got my beard working, and, and, and they told me when I was 305 pounds, that cross can't hold Jesus is not, he was never large like you, Rick. I mean, you can't be Jesus. It doesn't look good. And so I'd always have to be, you know, a Roman soldier. Or, for some reason, they didn't care that shepherds were fat. I got to be shepherd, you know, at Christmas. And, and so one time, it was my coup de grace moment at Shades Mountain. I was the king that was bringing the gift of gold at Christmas. That kind of kept me away from Easter. And this was my moment. I mean, I, I, I think, honestly, I look kind of like a king. I think that I can play that. I, I could be a Henry VIII type of person, sadly. So sad. My wife even said, oh, King, that should be easy for you as you sit around and everyone waits on your hand and foot. That should be great for you. And I told I came home. I said, hey, got a, got a part in the Christmas presentation. Christmas by candlelight. You're looking at the gold king. And she's like, oh, Lord. My wife always does that. And then ask that question, what is wrong with you? I see, goes, you're going to do, you're going to mess it up. You're going to do something that's going to embarrass every one of us. And the church is never going to let you do it again. 
And I said, I really am offended you don't think I can play the king with the gift of gold for, 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 the, for the young Messiah. And she said, trust me, something's going to happen. It always does. So we get to the big night, and they start putting a crown on me, and, and I had my, my gold, and, and, and they put, you know, you know, king wears that robe, and that robe's kind of velvet, you know? It's kind of, well, at Shades Mountain, when you come to the front, there's several steps up to the main area. And, and, and when we would run through it, the one time I showed up, I knew there was a song after we kneel with our gifts. I didn't realize it was a real long song. Didn't know that. And, you know, I played a little ball. I don't want to get into that tonight. It's not important. But, you know, I played a little football. I mean, y'all want to talk about it? <laughs> so, so I'm getting so old now and so banged up from it. I literally had someone say something to me the other day that blew my mind. I just was walking and somebody said, hey, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Oh my gosh, I think that's just how I walk. <laughs> I, they wanted me to identify my gait and why it was that way and I didn't know. And, and I was like, I think that's just how I walk. So um, getting old is hard. How many of you realize when you're getting older, this is when I knew I was getting older, I was injured sleeping. Oh my gosh, what happened? I just went to bed and I just woke up. I don't know what's wrong. I simply slept. That's all I did. And um, pulled a muscle the other day, brushing my teeth. That was a winner. Oh, oh. So, so I, I'm not the most stable. And so I come down the middle, you know, we three kings. And, and I let the others kind of have their time. Frankincense, myrrh. Oh, everybody's got the gold king down the middle. I'm on the middle row because I got the gold. And I come down there and I've got the gold for the baby Jesus. And I'm rocking and I get down there and I drop it down up on the top step. And the soloists start singing. <laughs> wow, this, I don't remember this at rehearsal. This song is, this song is really long. And so I knew I couldn't hold this. So I thought I'd try to get over on my hip. <laughs> and when I did, the velvet got caught under me. And then I went down the first step. <laughs> and I tried so hard to stop it. And I heard in the crowd, here we go. Here we go. And it was my wife's voice piercing through everything. And then it was, and I go all the way down. All the way down. You can't have nothing. And I'm just down. And then, but you know what I did, though? Even now I'm on the floor, and I just, I just hold it. Out of reverence. Frankincense and myrrh still up there. Go, king. Humble. So that was it. Didn't get to do it the next year. And you know, how, you know, you, you know when you get fired by something, but nobody will just say it. Hey, have y'all picked the Kings again? Yeah, we have. We sure have. <laughs> I didn't. I ain't get a call on that. No, probably not. <laughs> Hard for you to get a call that we didn't make. 
So that, that's embarrassing. And then, of course, we first joined, you know, we came from, we came from Oxford. You know, everybody know about Oxford? Alabama? About half, you know, you don't know where it is? If you leave here going to Atlanta, son, it's where you stop and go to the bathroom. <laughs> Look at them, they're like, oh yeah, I know that place. We built my hometown on human waste. So, um, and I get to go around the country just like yesterday. So, where'd you go to school? All the seminary people in there, you know. I'm up there with some big wigs. I'm an Oxford graduate. <laughs> and I love to watch the reaction. They're like, straight up. I just leave out Oxford, Alabama, and Oxford High School, watch them simmer on it a minute. So, uh, so we had never been to these gigantic Birmingham churches. I didn't know anything about a mega church. I didn't know anything about it. And so um, I was supposed to, you know, with the, with the five kids at the time, this when all five were at home. And um, I, I was part of trying to get everybody to a big church that we'd never been to on Easter of all days. And we'd been visiting, and we'd, I mean, the, we'd come from a church 300 on Easter. And we were excited about 300 on Easter and loved it. So we're trying to get accustomed. You know how it is when you're visiting a church from your new city? It's really, it's not a fun thing. But um, so I don't know how, you know, it happened like it normally did every Sunday. Maybe it's different at your house. Um, we had a van at the time so we could get all five kids and us in it. And we always ended up, I don't know why, in our van, going to church, hating each other's guts <laughs> of the drama it took to get to that van and all the things that come with it. So my wife looks at me, and we had two teenagers at the time, and then we had the three little ones. Now, of course, getting all them ready for church was a complete nightmare every Sunday. Uh, this was the first time I'd ever encountered the dumbest thing that God had ever made. And I have two here tonight, teenage boys. I'm telling you, teenage boys, and now I've had three, they basically just wander around in their underwear asking when we eat again. <laughs> Have you ever tried to get in a deep conversation with your teenage son? I really believe that my teenage boys could go into the peak of Everest. They've been gone for months, and I can't wait for them to get back. My gosh, they made it to the top of Everest. They walk in, haven't seen them in months. Sons, tell me what it was like to get to the crest of Everest. Is hot. Is good. Is good. When we're going to eat. That's it. You ever ask them if they play sports? How's the team look? We good. I was proud. He's all right. Thanks, son. Good talk. Uh, so we're all in the van going, and that time just had the one teenage son and the teenage daughter and then had three little ones. So Sherry says to me, Caesar Sunday, we've never been to this church. Drop off the three little ones. Meet me in the balcony. We're late. Okay. I'll take teenagers with me. All right. So I go down to where children's ministry usually is housed in a big church, the first floor. Why is the children's ministry always on the first floor? It's closer to hell. 
right? I mean, you go down there and you see like dads wandering around saying, I've been down here for years. This ain't my gift. And so, and so they start kind of, you know, how they do, and it's three little boys and they're hanging on to me and I'm trying to get them off of me and, and the guy gives me, who's trapped down there, he gives me a beeper. I said, what is this? So I'd never done a big church before. I'd never been to a big church. Well, we, we, we need to beep you in case your three young, tiny sons become unruly or have been injured. I said, no, that, that's not the deal. The whole reason I'm dropping them off is to get away from them. Don't be beeping me for a bloody nose. We had that in the van. So I throw the beeper in the trash. And so now, now because no mega church's elevator works, none of them. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a curse from God for building it. We're not supposed to. It's some old Jewish law. I don't know what it is. So I go to the staircase. Now I wasn't in as good a shape then as I am now. That's not even supposed to be a joke. I have you know I'm doing old man CrossFit now. I love that. I didn't know it, by the way. My wife's, you know, who's been on me about my weight. I have lost 40-something pounds, so I'm, I'm trying to do better. Thank you. And uh, so I need to. And so um, now I'm exercising a little bit. And uh, I was standing there one day, and I said, nah, I don't want to do CrossFit. My orthopedic friend says CrossFit bought them a lake house. That's true. And, uh, and she said, oh, no, it's just, we're just going to work out a little bit. And I'm out there, and people holler and stuff. And I said, my goodness, woman, you brought us to CrossFit. I'm 52 years old. I can't be in CrossFit. And then I said, here comes this guy. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Burgess. And that hurt. Would you like to take our CrossFit challenge? I said, challenge, son, I'm, this is my challenge. I'm here. There's something beyond me being here. I want nothing to do with the challenge. So at that time, back at the church, when I was going up these steps, I was about 305 pounds. And I'm struggling. And it's Easter, and I'm trying to get... I get up to about the third flight, and I just have to stop. And I'm like, I can't stand mega church. And I'm like that, and I look up, and Jesus is standing there. And I think to myself... I didn't make it. I didn't make it. I've died in this stairwell. This family's killed me. And I look, you know what you're going to say when Jesus is just standing there. And I said, Jesus, I just want to thank you for what you did. And a guy grabs me by the arm. He says, sir, this is Mike from the choir. He's playing Jesus. I said, hey, man, how about a heads up? Y'all got Jesus running around here? Nobody knows where he's at? I said, put him in the bulletin, man. Mike, next week, be looking, watch out. He'll be Jesus. So anyway, so Mike, Jesus, goes on up the other flight of steps with me, and now we're walking out onto the balcony. Well, how many, raise your hand if you're a Southern Baptist. Okay, good, because we're going to have to kick you out if you're not. I'm just kidding. What, what, on Easter Sunday, if you remember this, a lot of times you got somebody who looks like Jesus, he comes out, and what are we going to get? He's alive! And they're going to sing it, right? Well, that's what they were doing. So I walked out with him. 
because I can't find my family. And as I walk out in the spotlight, he is alive. And I'm like, Sherry, Sherry. And I hear up here, get up here. And I, and, and I come up there and she goes, what I've heard most of my marriage. What is wrong with you? How do you think that was okay? And I said, so I was trying to get some light where I wouldn't fall. And I said, hey, let me tell you something. We ain't joining this church. You don't know what I've been through today. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, look, I could, some of this other stuff, I, I guess I, I'll tell you in the car. But what just happened right there is why we're not going to this church. And she said, what, what do you mean? She said, I said, you remember when I walked out with Jesus? She said, I'll never forget that. I said, when that spotlight hit us, I heard somebody over here say, hey, who is that with Rick Burgess? <laughs> That's a long way home for that line, wasn't it? <laughs> I wish that story was not true. But, uh, you know, what a great opportunity to be here, though. We're laughing a little bit. We're having a good time. And, hey, we're living in some, we're living in, uh, some tough times. Oh, we really are. And, and the church has got to decide whether we're going to get in this fight or not. Uh, because it's, it's on. I mean, the persecution of the American church has never happened, and it's happening now. Now, we're not, praise the Lord, on our knees on the beach waiting to get our head cut off just yet. But, you know, the, the persecution of, of what we believe uh, is, is, is real. And, and I will tell you for the young people in here, we're going to kind of unpack here tonight, too. And for those of us that are here discipling you, and we're going to talk about that a lot, we've got to get to the point now more than ever, you've got to be able to discern false teaching because there's a lot of it out there. And that's part of the war. And we're going to try to unpack that a little bit here tonight. And, and I'm, I'm going to start with kind of, you see this? It's come to this now. <laughs> I mean, I am a mere shell of what I once was. You know what these are called? See, that's the thing. Now, they're progressives. Because bifocals sound old. They're bifocals. See, that's another thing we do. We always try to smooth everything over. No, those are not bifocals. Those are progressives. Wait a minute. Can I see far out of the top and read through the bottom? Correct. That's bifocals. And I can have enough of all the progressive stuff I can handle right now, so let's not call them that. So anyway... Let's look, if you have your Bible, Ephesians 5, and we're going to, we're going to be in the Bible a lot, so if some of you that listen to Joel Osteen may be shocked. Uh, so, um, <laughs> thank you, okay, thank you. Well, now Burgess is out again. I'm just kidding, I'm having a little fun with Joel. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Ephesians 5 kind of sums up what this series you're going on on Sunday nights really is all about. Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5, 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look at 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And of course, he goes on to talk about drunkenness and debauchery. And, and, um, now, when he talks about this, this is a real important line that Paul's writing here. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't walk as unwise people. Walk as wise people and make the best use of your time. 
the best use of it because the days are evil. Now, there's all, when you talk about this will of the Lord, this is a really, really big deal in the Bible. I mean a big one. And it, and it, has, it rocked my world when I started going to where, where it really begins in Matthew 7. If you have your Bible, turn over there for a minute. Hold, hold Ephesians 5. But let's go to Matthew 7 for just a minute because this phrase that Paul is using, he got this from Jesus. Matthew 7. Now, we do know this is the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, and we know that as Jesus is getting ready to wrap this up, I, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. And, and this, you, you, thankfully, you have a pastor right now that 100% gets this. And you've got a staff here at this church that gets this. This is a good time to be at this church because I know these men and I know enough about them that they're completely in line with, with trying to do what they're really called to do, and that is disciple you. The church has got out of the discipling business, but Jesus told us to do that, and we keep treating symptoms, but we're not treating the disease. The disease is we have too many churches right now, especially in our part of the country, that are stuck in spiritual infancy, and they're not being discipled from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and then replicating that with somebody else, which is what Jesus said to do. We're just sitting there wallowing in spiritual infancy, and we're not growing, especially men, sadly. So Jesus talks about this. I believe, especially men, if we just preach who Jesus actually is, I think more men would follow him. The Jesus of the Bible. Not the hippie we've made up. Jesus is not a hippie. He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's not a hippie. And we've taken tolerance and abused it. We've taken love and abused it. We're pummeling grace, destroying it. All that's in the Bible, and we're going to cover it all. Because we're going to leave here tonight at least knowing what, what the Bible said, not what Rick said. Who cares what I think? I'm flawed. Just, just like when we started doing men's ministry. You wouldn't believe how many people, when God gave me this vision for men's ministry, were aghast that the 40-day devotional that, that God led me and a former Marine to write, we titled it, How to Be a Man. And people were like, oh, you can't say, who are you to say who a man is? And I said, well, we ain't going to let you say it. But if we really want to look at how to be a man, what's, what's the only example that is not flawed? When God became one. If we want to see an example of how to be a man, how about when God became one? That's the perfect example. And, and you'll find that in the Bible, Jesus says, do this, don't do that, do this, do that. See, what we've done is, is you know, how many of you, sadly, because you probably don't want to admit this, but let's go ahead because you can't confess. If you're not, you can't repent of a sin that you're not willing to confess. How many of you have watched Talladega Nights? Go ahead, and we'll pray here at the end. Okay? Not the most wonderful, godly movie you're ever going to see. But there's actually some deep theology in Talladega Nights. There, re there really is. Who remembers when Ricky Bobby is going to give thanks for the food? You remember the argument? What was it about? The baby Jesus. Ricky Bobby said, well, that's my favorite Jesus. Yep, and they said, but you can't pray to the baby Jesus. He said, well, that's my favorite Jesus. I really don't want to know about the other Jesus. Well, sadly, there's a lot of theology there. There's too many people in the church that just worship baby Jesus. And baby Jesus is wonderful. I'm glad that God became a man and was born of a virgin. And we had to get started. And then what else do we love? We like crucified Jesus. The servants. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, forgiveness and grace and paying the debt that we couldn't pay. And that's a wonderful Jesus. Praise his holy name. It was our only hope. 
and resurrected Jesus, he defeated our death. I don't have to die forever. That's all wonderful, and we should love that, and we should thank God for it. But here's what we can't do. Ignore the rest of Jesus. The one who went three years saying, this is how you live if you're really mine. This is what you prepare for. This is the battle that's coming. And then the 40 days after his resurrection, he said, now let me run over this again. See, we ignore that Jesus, which is why we're inept at advancing his kingdom. There's more to Jesus than the baby Jesus, the crucified Jesus, and the resurrected Jesus. And I assure you, when he comes back on his horse in Revelation, the hippie's over. He's going to come back and lay waste to everybody who's not under his lordship. And what he said, that's important. So what I want all of you to do that understand what I did, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples and I want you to teach people to obey my commands and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And you keep doing that till I come back. And let me tell you some things like in Matthew 7, what it looks like to be my disciple. The first thing I want you all to understand, and you already know this, is that Jesus has never hid from us that following Jesus is hard. If you want to be a true follower of Jesus, it's going to be hard. And it is not the easiest life. But it is by far the best life. It pays. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. And he says this about the, the, the road that we're supposed to be on. He says in 13, verse 13, chapter 7 of Matthew. Enter by what? The narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to what? Destruction. So let's get that right. So if I want to go the easy, you know, too many people say, I, I just don't want to go to hell, but then I don't want to be bothered with anything else, and I want the easy life. Well, that's good. You go ahead and jump on that. The problem with that, that's the road to hell. Not because I said it, Jesus did. He said, those who take the wide road and take the easy road, they are on the way to hell. The ones who follow me are on a narrow road path and they've come through a narrow gate and look what he says about it he said so so we're entering by the narrow gate for the road to destruction is wide and easy look how many are going there many look at 14 for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few now you think about that that means everybody in here right now who is going to, would probably raise their hand and say they're going to heaven and Jesus said probably not there's a lot of pretenders in here. There's only a few that are really with me. And if you want to spot them, I'll tell you how to spot them. Because he said, those that are following me, it, it is so narrow, it, there's this picture of two chasms on each side, and Jesus is in front of us. And see, this is why I think this would actually inspire men, if we would just tell them the truth about Jesus. You, imagine the males you know in your life. If somebody came and said, I got something for you, and it's going to be hard. And as a matter of fact, if we take our eyes off the guy who's leading us, we're going to fall in a chasm on each side and probably be killed, and ain't but a few of us going to make it. I'm in. But when we present to men a feminized Jesus, when we talk to men like we talk to women and children, we wonder why we can't disciple them. You're never going to disciple a man talking to him like he's a woman or a child. Men and women are equal, equally powerful, but they are not same. Equal in value, but not same. And if you don't think that's been a mistake, just look around. Just look around. We don't even know where to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's sad. I mean, it's coming to my own family. You know the battle that I'm fighting. You know why? False teachers. 
out there saying God's evolved on this and he's evolved on that with no revelation or no scripture to support it. And if you don't know the scripture, you fall for it. I mean, the first conversation that I had with my child that, I, that, that we're disagreeing with now. Well, my pastor told me that God said it was not good that people were alone and he wouldn't deny marriage to anybody. Well, that's the only problem. That's not what the scriptures say. And I correct. I said, no, the scripture says that God looked at creation in Genesis chapter 2. And he said everything was good. And then he said it, he saw that man was alone and that was not good. And he searched creation and he could not find the perfect partner and the perfect helper for man, meaning it wasn't there yet. I mean, we had, we had creation of trees and all this stuff. And we had animals for you weird pet people that think an animal replaces a real person. And, and look, hey, some of y'all tap the brakes on your pet. Tap the brakes. Hey, it's all right to love an animal until you're treating it better than the human beings in your family. That's blasphemy. Tap the brakes. We got a dog at our house, and he's safe until, until we get, unless we get tied on food. He ain't safe. I mean, put him in the proper place. I, all kidding aside, that's blasphemy. Some of you animal worshipers, that's blasphemy. You think an animal's as valuable as a human being? That's sin. That's sin. And, and so I, I know people that treat their animal better than they treat their own children. Better than they treat their spouse. Better than they treat their grandchildren. That's blasphemy. And you've got it out of whack. So he looked and he said, so the, uh, an animal's not a perfect partner. I don't have a perfect partner for man that I've created yet. So he said, I will now go on record for all of time. And I will now create the perfect partner and the perfect helper for man. And he made, he made woman. And nowhere in Scripture has he ever changed his mind. I mean, never. It never changes. And you say, well, Jesus didn't talk about that. Yes, he did. Earlier in this sermon I'm talking about right now, he says, as my father made them male and female, a man will leave his family, he will cling to his wife, and the two will become one. Now I want to talk to you about marriage. Here's what I say about divorce. Here's what I say about husbands. Here's what I say about wives. There's no mention of anything else other than that. Then we have Paul saying, I'm going to write about husbands and wives. We're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. I'm going to talk about the difference in the two. And how about this? I'm going to remind you that this marriage thing is also the analogy Jesus uses about his relationship with his church. The church is his bride. He is the bridegroom. Then the writer of Hebrews says, let marriage be held in a place of honor by all. And may the marriage bed never be defiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and he will judge the adulterer. It looks like God loves marriage. And it looks like he's defined it. And then in the Revelation, what do we see? The, bridegroom's, the bridegroom is coming for what? The bride. The, God loves marriage, which is why Satan hates it. Look, I, I understand. I had to re be redeemed of not treating marriage the way he said to, to treat it. But, but, but I acknowledge it as sin and I repented of my sin because it means, and I, and I, and I ask for forgiveness, say, redeem me. And I will never, ever, ever misunderstand this again. And it'll be a place where it's supposed to be in a place of holiness. So how do we defend this? You say that. Don't get into the Levitical law and all that. Then you give me all this about eating fish and crawfish and all that. What you do is say, Genesis 2, he went on record, and all through the Scriptures, he never changed his mind. He didn't change it. So Jesus said, see, that, that requires you staying in step with me. You know what else it requires? Knowing what I said. Knowing what I said. If you're gonna, can you, would everybody agree you cannot follow Jesus? And you cannot implement Jesus and do what Jesus says to do if you don't know what he did. I would tell you that would be difficult. 
And I can already feel it a lot of times in the church, especially I deal with this in men's ministry more than women, frankly. But what do you hear with the men? Hey, man, I just don't like to read. Really? Okay. I don't either. Uh, before I started studying the Bible, after I was redeemed by uh, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I'd read one book, Where the Red Fern Grows. That's it. <laughs> Hunting dogs, I'm in. But something changed in me. A desire to know. Called the Holy Spirit. And if you ever want to have fun with somebody, which I often do, I'll sneak something in on the dude. Really, not a big reader. Now, man, I tell you, last year we just didn't see any mature bucks at our place. Really? Let me tell you what you need to do. Well, here comes Mr. Information all of a sudden. Yeah, here's how you get them bigger racks. You do this, you get your food plot like that, and set that off there, and you put that feeder back there behind that, and you get there and watch them cameras, and they'll come in here, and they'll do this, and the rut comes in here, and the rut comes in. Now, when a real rut comes in, and that's not a fake rut, that's a real rut, and then there's a second rut, but where'd you get all this information? Uh-oh. Sounds like you read about it. Sounds like you researched it. Sounds like you couldn't find enough information out about deer hunting. You wouldn't found it. Hey, tell me about your football team. Hey. I'm not a big reader, but I can tell you everything about my football team. I know the seventh grader we got our eye on. How do you know all this? I know what formation we're going to run. I know what defense we're going to run. I know who our last eight coordinators have been. I know a guy who's a coach in waiting. I know our schedule for 2020. How do you know all this? Interesting. How did you find out all this? Man, I was down at the pond. We just ain't catching big bass. Well, <laughs> I tell you, I'd catch a big bass. What are you throwing? Well, you need to throw this and throw that and get this rod and get this set up. Do it just like that. And you need to do this. And you got to fertilize that. You got to, you're putting it in there. I don't know if you're doing all this. You're fine. You move around over and they get up there and look for some structure. You got enough structure. You got structure. You got structure in there. Where'd you come up with all this? You see, see that, that's the lie. Let me tell you what you spend time on, what you care about. And what do you say? Well, that's my passion. Sounds like an idol. A lot of times what we call our passions and blessings are just idols and distractions. They're not passions and blessings at all. They're idols and they're distractions to keep us off what really matters. So really, if you want to see what a person really believes, just watch how they live. See, we may not always live out what we profess, but we uncontrollably live out what we believe. Global warming. You know why I don't believe anybody really believes in man-made global warming other than Ed Begley Jr. He's the only one that believes it that I've seen. You know why? He lives it. I don't believe it. I think Ed's doing things that's not necessary, but he believes it because he lives it. Al Gore don't believe it. You know why? I see how he lives. And a lot of them around the world don't believe it. You know why? We're going to have the man-made global warming summit in Copenhagen, Denmark. And it wasn't a conference call. Think about that. If we believed that if we could minimize emissions, we, it would save the lives of everybody on the planet, when we had a global summit, everybody would be assigned a code and we'd all talk on a conference call. We wouldn't fly airplanes, we wouldn't be in big suburbans, we wouldn't have limousines, we wouldn't go out partying. None of that would happen. See, they don't really believe it. It's a scam. And why do I think that? By the way they live. So if I were to say to you, well, I'm going to tell you what, be cautious about bottled water. Bottled water will give you mouth cancer. 
Don't even put your lips on it. Do I believe that? Of course not. Why? I'm doing it. So when we go out there proclaiming, hey, I'm with Jesus. Woo! And then everybody watches us. Do they believe it? I mean, what evidence would there be? Maybe a lot. I don't know you all personally. Maybe there's a lot of evidence. For, for moms and dads in here, you know how I could find out real quick? Talk to your children. Young lady, young man, tell me who the most godly people in your life are. Are they going to say you? My mom and daddy are. I watched them live. They love Jesus. That's why I love Jesus. I watched my mom and daddy love Jesus. Or if I said, well, what do you think your mom and daddy love more? Football or Jesus? What would they say? Now, we're going to find time for football on our calendar coming up here in the fall, aren't we? By golly, we'll move heaven and earth. But if we wake up and it's raining, church, eh. Eh. Y'all realize that's, that's serious. That's real serious. Because, see, now that's not really a passion. It sounds more like a God. Anything that you love more, anything you serve more, anything you value more, and this is a biggie, anything you fear more than God is an idol. I don't care how much you try to justify it. And God broke me of that through pain and suffering. You think our family really cares who's going to win the national championship this year? And it was our family business. I couldn't care less. Because when, when I'm thinking to myself, I know that my time is running out, and I know that when I stand before God Almighty, the only thing that's going to matter is what did I do for His kingdom? Well, if we believe that, why does our calendars not reflect that? You make a priority what you care about. You're going to find time for the things you care about. A man's going to find time to hunt. And there's nothing wrong with that unless that's all he makes time for. A man's going to find time to fish. And there's nothing wrong with that unless he's not a fisher of men either. He's just a fisher of fish. There's nothing wrong with football. It's a great game, but it's a lousy God. I mean a lousy God. And when I said that about fear, some of you are more petrified you're not going to have a winning season than whether your children will go to heaven or not. <sighs> what if we don't win this year? I remember when my son played for one of the idols in this state. And it is an idol. Just, just go stand outside the stadium and look around. If it doesn't look like the Roman Colosseum, you ain't looking. That's exactly what it looks like. And there's nothing wrong with it as long as you got it in the right place. Don't misunderstand me. You have to tell, you, you're right now assessing yourself on how important it is to you. When I tell you one marker on that too, and you can think about this about hunting, fishing, ladies, you can think about, about you know, whatever your passion may be hunting and fishing too, and football, but if you got something else, think about that. Maybe it's shoes. Good night at the shoes. <laughs> hey, guys, ladies, Sunday shoes, recreation shoes, and beach shoes, that's all you need. But, uh, but I, I'm kidding. Ain't nothing wrong with having shoes either as long as, you, as, long as that, that you're, you're holding money from God so you can get some shoes. Now, that's where it runs into a problem. And you know what I always ask the football people? Especially if you're a season ticket person. And I, I had to be a season ticket person for four years, so I know how much that cost. And I did it because I had a boy on the field. 
and I usually go to games if somebody I know coaches it or somebody's playing it. If they're not, I'd rather be at home. But, but at the time, I know how much money that is. What if all of a sudden your church that we're here tonight says, man, we got a need. We've got an opportunity to advance God's kingdom and fill in the blank. And man, if we could just raise this amount of money, it's done. Is that money for your football expenses this year, is it even up for debate? So you can really be a martyr and watch it on TV on a giant screen? Would you ever even remotely consider giving that money? Would you not deer hunt this year to advance the kingdom of God? Would you not fish? Would you take that money, and it's a lot of money on all these things, shoes, what about the shoes, the latest trends, ladies? Would you ever take that money, or is that money like this? No, no, that's money for me. If it's the latter, God help your soul. Because God loves you enough, he might do anything he has to to change your perspective. There ain't nothing wrong with, with, with having stuff that are truly blessings, but the Apostle Paul says they better be held just like this. And if you get them, fine. If you don't, fine. And if God wants them, he can have them. They're his anyway. Do you have a check written to God that already has your signature on it and says, my yes is on the table? Are there certain things that you're like, don't ask me about this? If it's the latter, that's an idol. And, and if you would put it in, pro, in its proper place, you would be in a better relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that doesn't disappoint you. What did, what did Solomon say about all this stuff in Ecclesiastes? What did he say? Chasing the wind. It vaporizes. It don't mean anything. And for you, I mean, you think about all things, but it say sex, for instance. I know we got little kids in here, so I won't go too much in this. But Solomon had so many women, and I'll say this as delicately as I can, VeggieTales version, that if he, were to, if he were to say hello to one of his wives and didn't say hello to her again till he completed saying hello to all of his wives, it would be three years. That's how many women he had. And he said, it's meaningless. He had so much wealth, the queen of Sheba was embarrassed when she saw the splendor of Solomon. And he said, it's meaningless. He did opium, he did drugs, he did alcohol. And he says, I've come to the conclusion after having everything that the world has to offer that the role of man is really quite simple. Fear God and do what he says. That's the whole role of man. Fear God and do what he says. Listen, and for those of us on the other side of the resurrection, not to earn salvation, but as a result of salvation, as a thank you and a proof of salvation. Jesus is so powerful, it's impossible for any of us to have truly experienced him and been transformed by him and to still see, be so much like our old self. Saul did not become, you know, I'm still Saul, still killing a few people of the church, just not as many. You know, I'm a work in progress. If I hear that again, I'm going to vomit, by the way. I'm so tired of the excuse for people who have not matured in their faith. I'm just a work in progress. You know what I'm going to say? You must not know what progress means. Every time I check on you, you're still in the same old stuff. You're not moving forward at all. And you know what I had to find out in my own life? Sin that stays in our life is a result of one thing, lack of love for Jesus. 
I'm not talking about stumbles where you make a mistake and the Holy Spirit convicts you. I'm talking about continuous, perpetual sin. Any continuous, perpetual sin that is still in your life or if it was still in my life, it is there because we still love the sin more than we love Jesus. Jesus said that. John 14, 15, if you love me, then obey my commands. 1 John 2, 4 through 6, anyone who says they're with him, but they don't obey him is a liar and the truth is not in him. Anyone who says they're with him are to walk in the same way in which he walks. Think about that. Jesus says in this chapter 7 of Matthew that I'm talking about, he says, you will recognize people by what? By their fruits. And he says, I used to think that Jesus said, a healthy tree should not bear bad fruit. I like that better. Lower that Jesus standard. See, now I'm not on the narrow path. I'm trying to go on that wide and easy path. I'm trying to go on that path. I want Jesus to be a hippie. I want him to love me no matter what. Bob, you know, we all mess up. None of us just, none of us got it together. You know, that kind of garbage we keep hearing from too many pulpits. But that ain't what the Bible says. Jesus said a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. That's a much different statement then should not. Oh, shucks, I shouldn't. No, Jesus said, if you're under my authority, and you've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't bear bad fruit. Not you shouldn't, you won't. I mean, look, I, I can go further. It, look what 1 John, if you have this, look at this. 1 John, now let's get over to chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 4. This is big, guys. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sin, and in him there's no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? I'm never out. I'm always with Jesus. You ever notice? I used to be this guy too. We sing that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and then we live like he can't see us. He has no idea what we're doing. If we abide in Jesus, meaning we're on that narrow path, like he said, we're locked in. Picture yourself on this, the chasm on each side. Never take your eyes off Jesus. Never take your eyes off Jesus. Take a step where he steps, step where he steps. He says, that'll be narrow and it'll be hard, but you stick with me, you'll make it. But you, you take your eyes off me, you don't abide in me, now sin's everywhere, you're going to be pulled off into this chasm. How many more people we got to see do this? Look what just happened with the last governor. I've been teaching Sunday school for years. It doesn't look like it. Why? He took his eyes off Jesus. And he fell off in the chasm. How many more celebrities we got to have, young people? I have everything the world has to give me. I'm going to kill myself. My goodness, we can't even have concerts memorializing dead singers because they keep killing themselves so often. We can't get them all in. They got everything you think you want. And it's not enough because they don't have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Even when it gets real hard. But if you got everything, you don't have Jesus, you got nothing. If the Rick and Bubba show goes another 30 years, and we're 53 years of Rick and Bubba, but we haven't impacted the kingdom of God, it has been a monumental waste of time and it's worthless, it's meaningless. This platform is used to move the kingdom of God, and when it stops doing that, I'm out. I'm going to go on to where God's moving. It's meaningless. We entertain to, earn, to make relationships to earn the right to talk about Jesus. That's it. That's the whole strategy. 
When Paul said, become all things to all people so that you may save some. Be their friend. Earn the right to speak into their lives. Then tell them the truth. So 1 John says, anyone, if you abide in Jesus, it's impossible to keep on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Think about it. This is important. You want, you want something that I, I've tried to simplify this now so it's easy to implement. Not, I mean, sorry, easy to understand. It's always difficult to implement because you're still in flesh. You've got to keep being sanctified and moving forward. Think about this. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Do we agree you cannot love somebody you don't know? Anybody agree with that? So he says what? Seek me and you'll find me. If you pursue Jesus with as much fervor as we pursue idols in our lives, if we'll make Jesus a priority and you'll seek Jesus, you'll find him. When you find him and get to know him, you'll love him. And when you love him, what happens? You'll obey him. But see, don't get any of that out of whack. Seek him, get to know him, love him, obey him. That's why it's called fruit of the Spirit. It just happens. But it's not going to happen if you don't know Jesus. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. There it is again. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And here comes 10, and this is the question before us tonight, brothers and sisters. Don't be afraid to evaluate where we are. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here is the Bible again saying the evidence of who's with Jesus and who is not is whether their life is continuous perpetual sin or not. You can, you can say prayers, you can get dunked in water, you can do whatever you want to do. If you don't ever have a transformation where you now begin to be so convicted by the Holy Spirit that you can't be comfortable with sin, and you don't start a process of maturing in your faith and becoming sanctified, you've never experienced the Holy Spirit. You have not experienced Jesus. That's what the Bible says. We've taken grace and really abused it. Romans chapter 6 Paul says, just because you're, you're saved by grace, that means you just get to go ahead and sin? He says, no. In 15, he says, you're going to be, 6.15, you're going to be a slave, doulos, the Greek word for bondservant, you're going to be a slave to your sin, which leads to death, or to, uh-oh, here it comes again, obedience, which leads to life. He said, don't abuse grace. You have not been given. You have been delivered from sin. He said, how can a person who's accepted Jesus Christ and been delivered from sin keep on sinning? Paul says, you can't. You weren't given a pass to keep on sinning. Jesus on the cross did not give you a pass to sin. He delivered us from sin. And so it's impossible to keep on sinning. The great Adrian Rogers says, you may still stumble and you may still find yourself in sin after you give your life to Jesus, but you will never be comfortable with it again. You correct it. You correct it. Where is the time that you are spending on growing in the faith and becoming sanctified where you truly exhibit the fruit of someone transformed by Jesus? Can I tell you that your family desperately needs it? Your church desperately needs it. The world desperately needs it. But Jesus himself said it's just going to be a few. But Jesus has taken a remnant 
And he has really, really turned the world upside down before, and he will continue to do it again. Look at 24 of Matthew 7. I'm sorry, 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember the first thing I read to you out of Ephesians? When Paul says, you know, be, be, use your time wisely, not like the unwise. Understand the days and know what the will of the Lord is. Remember that? Here it comes back. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, I'm sorry, I'm now I'm down building the, the, the house on the rock. Lord, Lord, people say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one, here it is, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. So don't miss the key. I used to read this verse when I first came to Jesus. I didn't understand it. I thought, oh my goodness, we can never be sure. Pastor, we can never be sure. But now Jesus said, no, 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 you can be sure. Only those that do the will of my Father inherit the kingdom of heaven. Everybody else is fake. So who thinks it's pretty important to know what the will of the Father is? That's big. What he's talking about here is obedience. When you see people who are obedient to my Father, like I was, they're the ones. You'll see the Bible says, uh, Paul to the church at Thessalonica, says you're doing a good job, but it's the will of God that your sanctification continue. So our sanctification and maturing the faith is one of the things that's the will of the Father. He said it's the will of the Father that you be able to discern false teaching in the Gospel of John. Why? You've got to know who the false people are. How are you going to know, know how to discern Scripture? You've got to be in the Word. How do you get to know Jesus? The best way to get to know Jesus, we talked about to know Him is to love Him, to love Him is obey Him. Right here, what did John say about Jesus that He was? He's the Word. Here's how you know Jesus. Right here. All of Jesus, not just baby Jesus. All of Jesus. His teachings on how his disciples should look and how they shouldn't look. Because you know what else he said? It's the will of the Father that you not be drunk. You find that in Ephesians. For this is debauchery. Well, you're not trying to say grape juice, are you? I don't know, man. All I'm just telling you, he said don't be drunk. He said it's the will of the Father you not be drunk. He hates drunkenness. He hates it. You know why? Because he said, you need to be loving my son with all your mind. When you let your mind be altered, guess who shows up and takes over? The demons. I, I'm, I'm living proof of that. When I look back at my life as a drunk, you know what I find? Sin. I can take 90% of the sins that I laid down at the cross and they were tied to drunkenness. You know why? I acted differently when I was drunk. I was all in for whatever. Well, Rick, you're not saying you can't ever have a drink, are you? I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. I just know that uh, right now alcohol has a bad reputation, and I know if, if I don't want to be drunk, not drinking any will surely solve that. You ever seen anybody stand up and say, guys, i got to tell you, I just want to tell you my testimony. I was a terrible father, horrible husband, couldn't hold a job. But then I started drinking, and it turned it all around. Has anybody ever said that? <laughs> Raise your hand if you heard the opposite. Yeah, I have too, a lot. So I don't know why you would ever want to dabble with something that we keep hearing destroys people's life over and over again. It may be why God said it's His will that you not be doing that. He also said what? 
It's the will of my Father that you what? Tell people who He is. It's, it's, the will of, it's my Father's desire in 2 Peter that none should perish. That's the will of my Father. So that's why I'm telling you, as I now have been obedient to the Father, not, not my will, but my Father's will be done. And now you say not your will be done. I'm going to teach you how to pray. What's the first thing Jesus said when you pray? The one thing you're supposed to do. Our Father who art in heaven. And then we say what? Thy will be done. So are you living for your will or for God's will? Jesus said, only those that live for my Father's will and do the will of my Father, there's the real deal. The ones that aren't, they're not, they're fake. And you can throw around the name of Jesus all you want to. Look, look at the sons of Sceva in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 19. They didn't like that Paul was getting a lot of celebrity, right? So they said, we've got to cast out some demons. Paul's this big celebrity. And they go in there, and the guy's full of demons. And they go in there, and they say, in the name of Jesus that Paul calls upon, come out of this man. And what happens? Something you never want to happen. The demons replied, Jesus we know. And I'll get to that before we close. Paul we recognize. Who are you? That's not what you want to hear, by the way. Now think about that. The demons said, Jesus, we know who that is. See, that was the thing I had to run into when I finally gave my life to Jesus. And this is big. For some of you, this is going to change your life. Not because I said it, because God wanted you to hear this. I sat before a man when I was ready to marry Sherry. And the man looked at me and he said, I will not marry you. I said, what? I said, oh, you won't marry because I was divorced when I was young, married a couple years. He said, I don't even know the details of that. We'd have to talk about that. It's not unredeemable. That's not, that's not listed as an unredeemable sin. I don't know the details of that. No, my problem is I'm not going to marry you because you lost. I said, lost? He said, why are you trying to book my church? Why aren't you booking your own? I said, well, I don't go to church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You ever been that person? And he said, well, legalistically, legalistically, I guess you're right. You got me on that one. But I ain't never met a follower of Jesus that didn't want to go to church. He said, you don't go to church to become a Christian. People go to church because they are one. And I said, okay. I said, I have you know I was baptized twice. <laughs> baptized once as a little boy, got baptized again as a teenager because I still sure was a hellion. Someone right. So I've been baptized twice, so I'm in. And I believed in Jesus. You know, he said, well, you sure can't tell it. 13 years, I'd never been in a church. When my mom and daddy made me stop going, I didn't go. Y'all do know, youth that are here, parents, you'll need to hear this, grandparents need to hear this. The, the survey we have right now is that 73% of the youth, when they leave the church, will leave it. When they leave this church and go to college, they will abandon the church. And only half of them ever come back. You know why? They're not disciples. They haven't, they haven't been sold that this is it. And think about it. And praise the Lord, you're about to hear that I was one of the half that came back. And so I started dealing with that with, the, with, the, with this pastor. And he started naming off all my continual, perpetual sin, what we've already talked about. He said, it's impossible, sir, for you to be who you are and be a Christian. I hear your show. And it was a different show then. Some of you probably heard it then. He said, you chase the women, you're in the bars, you get in the fights, you got a foul mouth, you do a dirty show. I hear you. That's not Jesus. That's not what a follower of Jesus does. I'm not bringing you into this 
holy altar and making a mockery of holy matrimony. I will not marry you. So I went home. I was like, wow. But, you know, it started weighing on me. The Holy Spirit was working on me. So I found a Bible, because I'm from Alabama. <laughs> By the way, if somebody stole your Bible, how long before you realize it was gone? Because, see, I had a bunch of Bibles. I just didn't know any Bible verses. So I, in, in a very great sense of humor on God's part, I just did this. And I don't want to get into Psalms because I knew they were in the middle. And I know y'all doing a series on that. So I did this, and it fell open to the book of James. Now, that's funny. Because the book of James will convince your pastor he's got some work to do. The book of James is a hard book. When Jesus said the way is hard, he meant book of James. My, my earthly brother's going to have a book for you, you ain't going to believe. Because it calls us out. On what? Obedience. On what, is, what does your life really look like? And so I went to James 4, because I'm trying, guys, and some of y'all got to do it. I had to figure out, how does a little boy go forward, say a prayer, get baptized, go, go forward again as a teenager, get baptized, and still live a life of debauchery? How? What's wrong? We got a lot of that in the church, especially in Alabama. And I saw the word submit. I mean, it's like God took my big old head and just made me look right at the word submit. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. It clicked. I'm under my own authority. All I've done is believed in Jesus. I didn't know what James said in chapter 2 at the time because I'm over in 4. But you know, James says in chapter 2, so you believe in the Trinity. You believe that God is one. Great. So do the demons. And they shudder at the sound of his name. What, what was happening in Acts chapter 19, the demons said, Jesus, we know. If you look when the disciples are walking with Jesus and they can't get it right, guess who always gets it right? The demons. They're shouting who he is. And he's like, shh. They know exactly who he is. So if we were to take a demon and interview him and interview you side by side, what would be the difference? Mr. Demon, do you believe that there was the baby Jesus and was born of a virgin and it was God as a man? Sure do. We know all about that. Do you believe that Jesus lived a sin, sinless life? Yeah, we kept trying to get him not to. We even sent the big boss in. You couldn't make him sin. We know he didn't sin. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the debt for all sin? We sure do, man. We all cried that night. We tried to stop that too. Man, we had him in the garden. We thought we had him. Then he went ahead and did what his father told him to do, even though he was struggling. We even had his, his, all of his buddies falling asleep. We tried every way in the world for him not to love human beings. But he went on through with So you believe that? Yeah, I know it. So three days later, oh yeah, he walked out there alive. Y'all do know he's God, right? Yeah, we do, demon. Thank you. So you know all that. Sure do. You believe all that. Absolutely. So what's the difference between you and the demon? The next question is crucial. And this was my problem. Mr. Demon, will you get on your face? Will you worship the Lord Jesus and come under his authority and declare him Lord? We will not. We fight him to the end. So that's the only difference. So what you have to acknowledge, what I had to acknowledge is, all, is, do you have a faith in Jesus as a Lord or you just have a demonic faith? You just kind of believe all this. But it has no impact on your life. It has no impact on your time. There's no power of it in your life. 
And you're just fighting against him just like the demons do. That's what I was doing. So I got on my face. And I said, Lord, I just, I, I'm, I submit to you. I submit to your authority. Change me. See, because I didn't know then that Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, not that Jesus existed, not even that Jesus was Savior, not that he was a good teacher. Believe in your heart, which nobody can do for you, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that his Father brought him out of the tomb on the third day, and you'll be saved. So what does lordship look like? You do what he says. Not to earn your salvation, but because of salvation. You don't abuse grace. You don't justify sin. You repent. See, everybody forgets that, see, because that, you get caught in baby Jesus. The minute he arrives on the scene, what does John the Baptist say? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. What did Jesus say in Luke 13? Repent or perish. What happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit poured out on everybody and their hearts were pierced? What are we supposed to do? We're convicted. What do we got to do? Peter didn't say, well, go on home and God works all that out and it'll be fine. He said what? Repent. Turn a 180 from sin and you come under the authority of Christ. And ask him to wipe the sin away and come under his authority and say, make me holy. You know what people say? You don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. Yes, you do. You cannot walk into the presence of a holy God with any sin. And the only way you're going to be perfect is under the authority of Jesus Christ. You do have to be perfect. So we have to be under the authority of the perfect one who paid the price. And something, something that holds on to our eternity and has eternal value you would think we'd make time for. I will tell you through the sanctification process, and I've still got a long way to go, but I'm not satisfied where I am. I keep finding more and more about God the more, I, the more I go after Him, the more I pursue Him, the more He reveals Himself to Him, the more I love Him, and the more obedience becomes more of a natural thing. Not because of me, but because of Him. He's too powerful to leave you like you were unless you don't want under His authority. You're trying to buy some cheap grace. Trying to find your way into heaven without ever being under anybody else's authority but your own. Your own authority is going to take you to hell. Can't you see the evidence of that if you're one of these people still under your own authority? Don't you see it? You don't have any power over sin. It owns you. Because you don't have Jesus. Some of you say, well, maybe I'm just backslidden. I don't know. I don't know where we came up with that. Hey, it's one thing to have stumbles, but if you've got a lifestyle of sin, it may be just because you're lost. I mean, and you look at, say, you know, going out and trying to impact the world and teach people to obey his commands and make disciples. So you can't do that if you don't know how to teach them. I can just hear the writer of Hebrews standing up in a pulpit in an Alabama church, the writer of Hebrews screaming, I cannot believe I've got to go over the basic oracles of God again. Some of y'all should be teaching by now. But you're still on milk. I can't give you meat because you can't take it. Hey, some of the adults in the room. It's one thing to come to Jesus with the faith of a child. That's fantastic. You need to do that. Maybe even tonight. But we come to faith as a child, but we don't walk like a child with Jesus. Some of y'all need to grow up spiritually. I had to. We don't stay a little child in our power. 
We have a childlike faith, but not a childlike walk. As I get ready to close, I want to tell you this. In Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, there's, there's a powerful moment, and this needs, this needs to be our pet rally going out. In 16, verse, verse 13, Matthew, Jesus says when he came to the district of, of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the, who do the people say the Son of Man is? You know what he's saying? Who's everybody saying I am? And listen to this. Of course, they go into some zany ideas. They said, some say John the Baptist. Not sure how that could be since they were both there together at one time. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, well, who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, this is big, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I know our Catholic brothers and sisters have messed this up. And if you're Catholic, I apologize. But you can see me in the parking lot, and I'll try to straighten this out for you. If you look at the original Greek, what you find is that Jesus says here, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, which is Petrus, which is a pebble, a flake of the big boulder. Okay, that's why. So you say, why is he saying his name again? What he's trying to say is, hey, what we just talked about, I want you to know, Peter, hey, you're a pebble of that. And he says, and on this rock, which he says Petra there, Two different words. Some people say, well, Peter's name's a rock. And he said, on Peter. No, that's not what he's saying. Peter's a pebble of the rock, which is Jesus. He says, the, 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 how about this? This church is going to be built on me. The church is built on me, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Interesting point. And this is where the church has got to change our whole mindset. The gate is not an offensive weapon. No one says, we're going to war. Bring the gates. No, you bring the sword. And you go what? To crash the gate. Gates defense. People got behind gates saying, man, maybe nothing will get us. That's hell. Jesus says, I'm going to destroy the gates of hell. We're going to bust through the gates of hell and we're going to destroy it forever. My church is on the offense, not defense. The armor of God has nothing for your back. Nothing. You know why? Because you're going forward. We have a sword, the Word of God. It cuts what? Two ways. It's slicing me and it's slicing the people I'm sharing it with. But we sit around like, oh, the gates of hell are going to get us. And Jesus said it won't get us. No, He said we're going to bust the gates of hell. It will not prevail against my church. Does the church look like that? The church either comes down as cowardly and afraid or sanctimonious and self-righteous. Neither one of those are good. What we should be is just devout followers of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever compare those of us who have who've declared Jesus on the other side of the resurrection. Stop comparing yourself to the disciples before the resurrection. That's a mistake. I'm kind of like Peter, you know, he was scared of that girl by the fire. Well, that was before the Holy Spirit. He wasn't that way after the Holy Spirit. Compare yourself to him then. We, we're supposed to have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have it until after the ascension. And Jesus said, now when I give you all the Holy Spirit, y'all going to stop asking me when we're going to fight the Romans, you're going to know what you're supposed to be doing. And when they got it, what's the first time they celebrated? When they got beat. They got beat because they wouldn't shut up about Jesus. 
And they said, if you'll just shut up, we won't beat you anymore. And they jumped up down and said, we finally with him. Now, where are these guys that ran from him in the garden? Where are those guys? Well, they got the Holy Spirit. You know what they said? Kill us. We'll just be with Jesus. You're not like the disciples before. The, if you want to see the standard for us, it's the Church of Acts. That's the standard. That's people that have the power of the Holy Spirit. Not those before. That's the wrong standard. Stephen becomes a deacon and gets killed in one week. Hey, Stephen will serve us well. Oh, there he is out there preaching. People throwing rocks at him. Get another deacon. And, and what does Stephen say? Bring it on. He said what? When he was getting stoned because he preached with such fervor that they were putting their fingers in their ears. Does this sound familiar? And they were grinding their teeth saying, we don't want to hear what you're saying. Shut up. Somebody kill him. Somebody hit him with another rock. And as he was being stoned to death, he looked up and what did he see standing at the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ. Not sitting. Standing. What about getting a standing over from Jesus? But did the rock stop? No, they didn't. When John the Baptist finished his job, he said, I must become less, so he becomes more. You don't think John the Baptist, it looks like when he sent those followers to Jesus, he went, hey, cuz, you know I'm in jail, right? They're about to cut my head off. Didn't I do what I was supposed to do? You know what Jesus said? Sure did. Well done. Your reward is in heaven. No man born of a woman is greater than you, John. Nice work. But what did he say? But the least in the kingdom of heaven can be greater than John. What does that mean? Post-Pentecost. Can't we do more than John? John didn't have a smartphone. John didn't have satellites. John didn't have airplanes. John didn't have publishing presses just roll out the Word of God over and over again. He didn't have microphones. He didn't have Facebook. So all these things God's given you, are you pointing people to Jesus with them or pointing them to you? What if it was social media? Have you done anything pointing by to Jesus or it's always about you trying to create this perfect family that none of us believe, by the way? <laughs> Another perfect vacation. I'm sitting there going, ah, no, nah, it didn't happen. I've been on a family vacation. They ain't perfect. <laughs> you grab one picture and try to make a perfect vacation. That didn't happen. Yeah, take a picture next time somebody craps their pants when you're in the pool there at the hotel. <laughs> that, don't, that, don't, that don't ever make the Instagram, does it? So don't be intimidated by people's Instagram life. It's fake. But John the Baptist did not have access to advance the kingdom of God like we do. He said, we'll do greater things than John. You know what Jesus said? You ready for this? We'll do greater things than him. What? We're talking about Jesus the man side, not Jesus God. Jesus, what? Three years, what did he cover? 500 miles? He said, you'll be able to advance my kingdom further than I could when I did my ministry for three years. Is that how we look? Is that how the church looks? Are we turning the world upside down? Are we just having another event and eating some more food and saying maybe we're all going to heaven? And who are we to judge? Hey, let me tell you something. You absolutely judge bad behavior, especially within the church. Now, you don't judge anybody's eternity. And Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew 7, 1, don't be a hypocrite. See, that's another thing. See, the world, you got to be able to serve false teaching. Well, everybody says, we're not supposed to judge. Judge you, you be judged. No, Jesus said, make disciples and teach them to obey my commands. How do we do that if we never say anything's wrong? See, that's a lie from hell too. All Jesus said is, if you're going to go call somebody out, you be sure you're living it too, because you're going to be judged by the same standard. But he told us, then what? Get your act 
cleaned up, get your eye cleaned up, so what? You can judge correctly. Aha. See all these lies? And, and, and really, and, and what, it, I mean, what it's done is the church, which is supposed to be this roaring stallion that advances the kingdom of God, has turned into a silent, pitiful gelding. It's like you've had the truth cut off, if I can use that analogy. But you have the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set people free. So think about your time. Think about the things that you do with your time, the things you do with your money, and ask the question, can I count for anybody? Would there be anybody that would say, hey, Jesus, I came to know you because of your name? Would the demons say, like they did to the seven sons of Sceva, Jesus we know, Paul we recognize, you know what they said to these, those cats? But who are you? We don't know you. And they attacked them, and they beat them, and stripped them naked to within an inch of their life. But they used the name of Jesus, Rick. They sure did, but in their hand, they didn't have any power. Because you know what Jesus said? That's somebody else talking about me. I don't know who they are. They don't, they're not doing the will of my Father. I don't know who that is. So, so if you run out there with the name of Jesus, do the demons say, Jesus we know, Paul we recognize, and we recognize you too? Or would they say, who are you? These are very, very important questions because they hold the key to eternity and they really hold the key to life. When the Apostle Paul knew he could not be stopped is when he said, I have learned that to live is Christ. I will tell you that my, and I, I know this, I'm getting to the point now, praise the Lord, and i got a lot of work to do. And if I, get, if I look off from Jesus, I can fall just like anybody. And if I do, y'all be very disappointed and heartbroken and hold me accountable. You hear me say something on the show I shouldn't say, you call me out. Because I need to be held accountable. We've all been given platforms. We need to hold each other accountable. But I will tell you this. I'm getting to the point to where when I look at my calendar, the things that don't involve advancing the kingdom are the ones that I dread the most. When this is on my calendar tonight, I'm stoked. I've, I've learned to do small talk so people will hang around me. But I hate it. I'd rather be talking about Jesus. And I find myself drifting to people that want to sit down and talk about Jesus. Amen? So as we get ready to, to close this out, and I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Let's not be afraid to ask ourselves an extremely difficult but important question. Do we have a demonic faith? Are we truly a disciple of Jesus? Are we a follower of Jesus? Are we just a believer in Jesus? That distinction is huge. And if you want to know the answer to it, it's right where we started. Just look at your life. Your life says everything about your relationship or the lack thereof with Jesus. But that can all change. It can change right now. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this time, thank you so much for allowing me to spend time with my brothers and sisters here in my hometown. It's an honor to be trusted to be here. And Lord, I just pray as, as we get ready to get a chance to meet some of the people outside and, 
And uh, Lord, I, I want to be out there hugging people's necks who gave their life to Jesus tonight. Or maybe the person that was like me that had to come to the conclusion, I look at my life, I don't see evidence of the power of you there, Jesus. Just as Acts chapter 2, you know, I know right now you've been in this room, I feel hearts being pierced. I, 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 I can sense people who need and have urgency to do something. If you're one of those people, that you're at the place where I was when I went home and that pastor called me out, and tonight you've come to the conclusion that you do not know Jesus. I'm just going to go Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, just like we talked about. It says, if you believe in your heart, I cannot do that for you. There's no magic words I'm going to say or anything like that. This is the sincerity of your heart. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, just say, Jesus, I want to come into your authority, just like I heard Rick talking about. Just like you radically changed him, will you change me? I've been under my own authority long enough. I'm tired. I want to come under your authority. And right now, I submit to your authority. And Lord, just like in Acts chapter 2, I'm, I'm, I repent right now of my sin. And I turn to 180 from my sin. And I, I, I turn my attention to you and come under your authority. You're on record for how much you love me on the cross. Teach me, Jesus, to love you. Because if I love you, I'll obey you. And today I declare that I want to love you more than I love sin. Save me. You know, the Bible tells us if you were sincere in your heart and you made that declaration to Jesus Christ that He will save you. And if you would do this for me and then we're going to have some people standing down front in a minute for you to come and talk to, I'll be outside too if you want to come by and say hello. On your way out, if you have time, I'll talk to you too. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ tonight for the first time or the first time you ever meant it, I want you to just lift your eyes and look at me. Lift your eyes. I'm coming across the room and look at me. That's the right thing to do. Who else? I'm just look, you just look up and find me and I'll look at you. That's the right thing to do. Thank you, Lord. For those that have made that decision, I pray, Lord, you honor it and you draw them to you. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't question your salvation, but you have not been very effective for the kingdom. You've looked at your time. You heard things about hunting and fishing and shoes and ball games, and you haven't been wise with your time, and you declare right now, Jesus, forgive me for my idols. My yes is on the table. Whatever you call me to do, Lord, I will do. I declare you as not only my Lord and Savior, but I am ready to be a disciple of you, Jesus Christ, and impact your kingdom. If tonight there's been a declaration in your life that you don't doubt your salvation, but you do doubt your impact for the kingdom, and you've made a declaration tonight that that changes, will you just look up at me? Yeah. Praise the Lord. He turned the world upside down with 12. He's got more than that. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these decisions. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to take the, the, the pastors here. They're going to come be down the front. And I'm going to hand it back over. And if you've made a decision tonight, and I know that many of you have, one way or another, you want to come down here and be prayed over, we're down at the front right now. And I thank you so much for trusting me with this tonight. Thank you so much.